It's fucked up, but don't give up. Protest, vote. I'm Sarah. I'm Robert. And welcome to minutes 33 through 36, where we have Mark saying hi to Paige and Paige saying hi back to him. And the first visual that I noticed is they have a way too neat bulletin board at their school. (laughs) And I understand they probably don't have a lot of people working on the bulletin board. I don't think it was a huge budget film, so you get almost all the same handwriting, mostly generic things, just like rally, dance, couldn't read too much of the board, but... The small ones where Mark stops, although he's not really looking at them, he's kind of using his excuse to look at Paige, are like speakers for sale, and something about a a musician thing, so stuff you might actually be interested in if you walked over there. I wondered for a moment if Saugus High School just had that neat a bulletin board, and that's why they used it. But then the bulletin board inside is... Really neat too, and I don't, I don't know. Yeah, like someone's been, never seen a bulletin board. Maybe that's how Canadian bulletin boards are. Maybe everyone there's the stereotype of being polite, right? So they yeah. all have perfectly neat bulletin boards with it's all just the a, same a neat grid of index yeah. cards. <laughs> because I feel like those index cards would have been gone before first period, and everyone would have just been taping random pieces of paper to it. That, but, that's how yeah. Murdoch runs things. You get to put one index card on the board, that's it. And he's in a row, or they kick you out of school. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Apparently that's all it takes to get kicked out of that school. So then we have Mark notice that his tape is being played. Well, before we get there, I'd just like to say I like the thing between Mark and Paige. Like, mm-hmm. he he's not, he's he likes the rich girl, and the thing is, while she does seem to like notice he's looking at her and says something to her friend, When he does walk over and say hi, she kind of awkwardly says hi, too. It's just too late. He's already walking away. Yeah, that's true. Ever since you mentioned that John Cusack was supposed to have that part, Mm -hmm. I've had a more difficult time, I shouldn't say imagining Christian Slater in it, because he's in it, but (laughs) (laughs) watching him in the part, because he does that hunched over, awkward, and sometimes it doesn't quite work because he's mm-hmm. christian slater he's like a badass he's like a hot guy <laughs> like in a real high school all the girls would like well, him even john cusack point, we've seen him in heathers and as this movie comes out he's in young guns too in theaters yeah and no offense to john cusack like i'm sure he's great and cute and girls like him or whatever but <laughs> it's easier to imagine him in that like hunched over mm-hmm. dorky like <laughs> kind of role than christian slater that's not the christian slater's a poor actor in this film. He's a great actor in this film, but sometimes it doesn't quite work with who he is. <laughs> yeah, it, it works well when he's hairy, because yeah. then he's supposed to be, even though he's just on the radio, he's got charisma. And so when we watch, like, lots of close-ups of him talking into the mic, it works. When he's the awkward Mark at school, it's like, yeah, I'm not sure I buy it. Exactly. <laughs> like, all he can do is just be quiet and stare, which doesn't necessarily work. And then, yeah, we get uh, Chip... Is the kid's name, who I think might be British, puts on the uh, the tape of Mark's show, which, by the way, is different than what he actually said on the show. So it's a different, uh, so it's a different take of the audio. Interesting. There's multiple, like four. I think I counted four different differences in the phrasing. So. Wow. So just continuity here. 
a basically just different take, probably. Because you never go exactly, like he says, uh, Mr. Deaver, in, when he says, why is that? And he says, wondering, instead of curious. Mm-hmm. In the script, I think it says, wondering. And then here he says, wondering. But in the actual scene, we hear him say, curious. So it's just, he said different lines, and they just use a different take for their audio. So is this where we cut to the long shot of Nora walking through the schoolyard? Uh, well, we, Murdoch comes in first. Murdoch gets mad because the tape's playing, turns it off and takes it. And it is the tape about him, uh, him talking to Deaver about them kicking Cheryl out. Then we get, yeah, Nora is walking around, looking around all the stairwells. Yeah, well, she's walking. There's a rather long shot of her walking, like, through the courtyard. It's not mm-hmm. really her, like, walking around looking at stairwells. She seems to get to the stairwell she wants pretty quickly. She does pass like, a couple others. <laughs> They're just not as obvious because the film doesn't mm-hmm. focus on them. I like her energy as she's walking through the courtyard. She's mm-hmm. clearly very excited that she has a clue that she can really use. Yeah. Like, you know that today's the day she really feels like she's going to solve her mystery. <laughs> well, yeah, math exam might not do it, you know. That he has parents won't do it. But sits in the stairwell, she can narrow it down. Although, I'm not sure it's lunch, because they haven't had English class yet. Yeah, and... Who knows when English class is? That's a Previous floating editing, time. It's, it's yeah. before seven fifty-five a.m. So, yeah, and today it'll be today. It's fourth af- period. Fourth period, but also after lunch. I mean, my <laughs> my Catholic school for high school in ninth grade had such a small cafeteria that we actually had. You could have your lunch period technically any time between third and eighth period, huh. meaning you could have lunch at 10 in the morning. So <laughs> that was a terrible lunchtime. That was basically for a high schooler. That's just, you get breakfast time and then you figure out a snack to eat later. So I guess technically fourth period could be after lunch, depending on how they space lunch. But also he's yeah. not eating lunch. No, he's just sitting on the stairs reading a book <laughs> and they have no idea when English classes. That's okay. <laughs> they all seem to show up at the room when it happens. So that's <laughs> good. In fact, I point out in my notes this time, they show up before, which you're not supposed to do in a public high school. Right. Yeah. Very limited time between classes. And you're supposed to wait for the teacher to be there. Huh. Well, I don't know if that was a rule in 90. I don't remember ever waiting for the teacher. I was a private school. It was a rule there. And oh. <laughs> when I teach at high schools now, it's a rule there. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't remember that as. But Emerson walks in and there's a full class. Yeah. Well, almost because Nora's not there. We'll get to that. Uh, Nora walking around. We get a song that may or may not have been made for this movie. Well, it seems like it was made for the movie. Couldn't figure out much else. I can't else figure out, out when it was it. actually released. I know he, re- he did a live recording of it in like 91. And then you didn't say who he was oh, or Stan what the song Ridge, was. Stan Ridge, <laughs> it's Stan Ridgeway and the song is called Talk Hard. Um, and you'll probably know it if you remember the scene because the lyrics are very clear. Life is tough and full of stuff. Life is hard as, I swear he says fuck, but the lyrics officially say rock. Uh, no one around to pull you out, no one to stop the clock. Now we don't need no chaperones, all policemen please stay home. And I think that's all the lyrics we yeah. hear in the movie. Well, that's a good sentiment that mm-hmm. still applies. Yes. And, yeah, the only recording that I found of this was the live version from March 6th, 1991 yep. that somebody put on YouTube. Apple Music has, I think, two different live recordings, and I saw on Stan Ridgeway's Twitter last year, he posted a link. He's like, I found the obscure studio recording. 
and put up a link to it. Yeah, it's, 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 the song is more notable for being in this movie, but it's not on the soundtrack. So. But see if you can find the version on YouTube and listen to it. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> and Nora finds him in the stairwell. You wanted to point out she interacts with one of the few black students at the school before that too. Yeah, that's just in her, it's almost, it's weird because it's her walking through the courtyard, but it almost visually is like, Dance scene or a dance number? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's got a nice energy. The way it's and choreographed, yeah. She, and she spins energy. around to that one guy is like, what? What are you looking at? And he says something really nice. Like, it's not accusatory. Yeah, they're clearly, I don't know if I could say good friends. Maybe they are, but they're clearly know each other and are very yeah. friendly with each other. And they do like a little dance. L- Look-wise, <laughs> she's more like goth and emo, especially in this mm-hmm. outfit. It's like black with like the pink and black leggings. She's got her keys on a big giant safety pin. Yeah. Like a punk thing. But, now nah, she's friends with everybody. Well, I mean, the punk kids so, were friendly with Some, them. Yeah. yeah. She's just bouncing around school. <laughs> this stairwell does seem to still exist, by the way. I think I found it on the Saugus High School campus. Not actually going there, because, you know, locked down, and I'm not going to go to some random high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't but think they appreciate that. <laughs> Especially just having random people wandering around where they had a school shooting during a recently during a pandemic. Mm, yeah. Probably well, maybe no one's there. Idea, but. Although probably they have fences and gates and things. Yeah. Yeah. Don't recommend breaking into a school right now. M- Mark is reading. Uh, Ray Bradbury is I sing the body electric. Ah, so he's already reading the book on the stairwell. I didn't notice yeah. him reading the book until yeah, class. Yeah, he's, well, he's holding it more upright in class. So I did like that he was reading that book and i liked that they had him reading a sci-fi book because science fiction is punk rock in a way it's a powerful way that you can discuss issues of race and equality and injustice through metaphor through yeah i mean it's what the twilight zone did the twilight zone creators wanted to discuss social justice issues and they created the classic twilight zone because having the monsters be actual monsters rather than calling out. Was that segue on purpose? Yes. Because the title story was an episode of The Twilight Zone. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, Sing the Body Electric was an episode of The Twilight Zone. It was also a short short story in this self-titled I Sing the Body Electric. Right, apparently several years between. It was a Twilight Zone script first, and then he turned it into a short story under a different name, published it in a magazine, changed the name back, and published it in the book. Yeah, that's true, because the Twilight, the classic Twilight Zone ran from, I believe the first episodes may have technically been 59, but it basically ran from 1960 to 1965. Yeah, this was season three, episode 35, uh, which was 18th May, 1962. Perfect. Yeah, I was going to say this one would have been, just my memory, I'm glad, because I didn't look up the season, and I was going to say the, 1962. The, the, plot, so. <laughs> the plot, by the way, for the, of the short story is a family that, after the grandmother dies, they get an electric version of her to take care of the kids. And, like That's kind of it. There's not really even a twist to it. Yeah, there's not too much with this episode. I've watched every episode of Classic Twilight Zone. I love Classic Twilight Zone. I've seen them multiple times, and I was struggling to remember a lot of specifics from this particular episode. I thought it was kind of funny that they got a, essentially after the mom died, they basically just got a robot woman to do everything. The daughter was the youngest. If she was older, they would have just made her do everything, but I guess since she was the the youngest, they had to get a mechanical woman to do everything for them. So, And rather than a twist, it's like when the kids get old enough, they don't need her anymore. 
They feel bad, but she also feels bad because she loves them. That's it. (laughs) And one of the other short stories in this collection was titled The Women. And this episode deals with suicide. In the story, The Women, it's a wife and a husband. And the husband commits suicide after repeatedly being drawn to the water. And the wife keeps wanting to leave the beach. And he thinks that she's not enjoying the vacation, but she is just trying to get him to escape before the water takes him because she can see where it's going. It's a really interesting, like, depression metaphor. Yeah. But then in the end, she can't defeat it and get him to leave, and he goes into the water. Yeah, I I couldn't tell, because I don't have a physical copy of the book, what story Mark is reading or what story Christian Slater had open anyway. But maybe it was that one. I know. I wanted to open to that page. Like, if I had the book, I would have mm-hmm. totally opened to that page and been like, which story I think it's even consistent. He has it on the stairs, and he has it in the class, and he's open. He's about a third of the way into the book. All right. I bet we could have done that table of contents. Uh... You could guess the order, yeah. All right. Go ahead and talk for a minute. Quick look up. I'll let the <laughs> listeners know <laughs> which story Mark was reading. Next in my notes was actually about Nora's, all her black outfit and everything. She's got boots. She's got that turtle necklace she was wearing before. And she finds Mark in the uh, on the stairs outside, which I think technically is not a stairwell, but that's okay. You think it was like a fake stairwell well, made for the film? Alan Moyle is from freaking Montreal. In Montreal, high schools are going to be indoors because they have, you know, actual weather, unlike Arizona. So they would they would have all their stairs in the buildings, and so they would have stairwells. That's more just a choice of wording. And it might even technically still be a stairwell, but then, of course, in the script, Nora asks him for a cigarette, which is interesting. Just like I, I pointed out that you don't see people light cigarettes in this movie. People smoke. But they don't light cigarettes, and she doesn't ask for a cigarette. She instead asks for a stick of gum and grabs his blackjack pack back. So now I'm right. Yeah, okay. Wait, that's like that song. You were uh-huh. doing that backpack song, Little right? Little black there. backpack. Yeah. <laughs> she grabs his blackjack, and then she gives his blackjack back. But first she asks him, he really is horny as a ten-peckered owl. And she leans in to say this, and he just stares at her. And she smiles and says, hi, my name's Nora. What's yours? Uh, the script says he takes a full five seconds to answer. It actually is a little shorter, but he's very awkward and slow in his responses. He's already putting his book away in his bag. He's getting ready to leave. He tells her, Mark. She says, Mark? Well, hi, Mark. Uh, he says, hi. And he's already grabbing the railing to leave. And she says, listen, I was going to cut fourth period. Do you want to join me for a smoke in the art supply room? And she holds up something I think might be papers for, like, making cigarettes. Yeah, I thought it was something. Because it's not his blackjack pack. She's already given that back and is a... (laughs) (laughs) I can't not run. It's the thing she holds up is green. So I wasn't sure what it was. And it it wasn't a lighter. But um, this is where I put my note is like, I don't know what time of day it is. Because it looked like Mark was just arriving at school last segment. And we're going to cut from this to fourth period. And according to the table of contents, about a third of the way through would have been Yes, We'll Gather at the River, which was named after a song that some are referring to a Christian. Some have used the word apocalyptic to describe it and said that it's associated with funerals. At the smiling of the river, mirror of the Savior's face, saints whom death will never sever lift their songs of saving grace. It's also been associated with the sacrament of baptism. Yeah. But it's bringing people together Mm -hmm. for a ritual, which is fitting for the film because that's what Mark's doing. And 
we also have one, the funeral or the death that we're going to find out about Malcolm. And we also have, did we cut to English class yet? No, because we go to the lounge first. All right. We'll go to the lounge and we'll come back for more on this in a minute. Um, First, Mark tells her, no, I can't. I got to go. Sorry. He gets up. He leaves. Nora watches him walk away. And I love this shot because we're going to get a similar shot at the end of this segment. It's just Mark walking away for five seconds. This movie has, it for a movie that has so many like crazy moments of like simulated sex and all this other Mm -hmm. stuff, to have like a nice quiet just walking away is is cool. Mm -hmm. And then in the script, she, instead of just saying sorry, she says, yeah, sorry, I thought maybe you were somebody cool. And so the Hmm. script is suggesting she isn't quite sure that she she found him. I just took him being all standoffish and immediately leaving as a clear indication that she got the right person. Right. Well, she doesn't seem to understand the type of person still, I guess, who would be on the radio to it. Right. She's imagining some outlandish character who's always that way, which shouldn't fit for sitting in the stairwell by himself. She's not there yet. And then we go to the, uh, the teacher's lounge which actually has more than just two teachers in it this time. Yeah, I think there are four or five total. There's two at the table. The the young teacher, we don't know his name, we saw him before, walks in front of the camera. Emerson is there, but she's not immediately on camera. She's off to the left and then walks in, and Murdoch comes in. Uh, We we both got fascinated by a a picture of a Native American on the wall trying to figure out who it was. And we may have narrowed it down. The Captain Kaya Tanita? Yeah. Couldn't find out much about the uh, captain, but... Captain Kaitanita was the brother of the Navajo chief, Manuelito, who's fairly famous. Uh, Kaitanita was a war chief and commanded the Siege of Fort Defiance, which I read was one of the largest battles to ever happen in Arizona. Interesting. And, but the interesting thing and tied to stuff we've talked about in this show so far, Kaitanita was featured on a collector's postcard in Red Man Chewing Tobacco and in a series of what they call ABC, a series of trading cards of famous Native Americans. And it was like 20 cards, and this guy made it, so good for him. Huh. But also, it's marketing of natives to, <laughs> I guess, like white people? kids? Yeah. The tobacco thing, I know that's a, that's a thing. There are brands that built themselves on that, because Native Americans had tobacco. But, yeah, I thought that was interesting, that there were trading cards. Maybe that's what was in the... I was just thinking <laughs> that. Maybe those were the trading cards in, in the locker. Last time. Yeah, it was harder to read them entirely, but they could have been, cause and then Murdoch comes in and says, boy, these damn tapes keep popping up all over the place. They're playing this one out in the alcove. And uh, Stern, one of the teachers, says, who is this guy anyway? Every day there's more graffiti. And Murdoch, Murdoch says, I don't know, but he's turning the school upside down. And then Emerson, by then Emerson has walked in the frame and sat down. And she says, uh, has anyone seen Luis Chavez? He wasn't in my class today. And Stern says, mine either. They're noticing students are gone. Yeah. Luis Chavez... Is going to come up later. No, he's one of the people they're trying to. He was uh, one of the first ones we saw. Yeah, he was the getting, one that, off, getting the off the bus. Yeah, and Murdoch called him by name. So it's it's the little one that we keep hearing the name of, so we remember. Because at this point, I don't think we even know Maz's name, even though we've seen him multiple times. But Luis Chavez, we've seen him once, but we've heard his name at least twice. And then Murdoch plays the tape, which is more of a the Deaver conversation, right? With the line, "I find Cheryl unremorseful." Yeah. And that's when Crestwood enters. So she hears that part. She she comes in just in time for him to yeah. say, the one Miss Loretta Crestwood, high school principal. I find Cheryl unremorseful. And then she, Crestwood tells Murdoch to turn it off. He does. And she says she has an announcement to make. And that's when we cut to Emerson's classroom instead for fourth period. Yes. American literature. 
And it's a good transition there because Crestwood says I have an announcement to make and Emerson says I have some upsetting news. Mm -hmm. So, um, Emerson's classroom is really sparse. Yeah. They're blank chalkboards. One nature is poetry sign. I've enjoyed seeing their signs and we'll get to another one before the end of this. Yes, nature is. It sounded like you said naturist poetry. No, nature (laughs) is poetry (laughs) sign, which is near an empty bookshelf. And I just, I struggle with. An English teacher having a nearly empty bookshelf. Well, it, maybe they're all singing. I sing the body electric. And like the school gave them copies, so that's the bookshelf that normally holds that book. I don't know. You're such a nice optimist. I was <laughs> just thinking the school is it's either... It's more problematic it seems to only have one bookshelf. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know whether that's just subtle commentary on schools not being particularly well-funded or well-run, which this one Yeah, but that's why isn't. they have bookshelves, so they can hold all the old copies of textbooks. Yeah. So they always got something. Yeah, and so that's odd. And most English teachers would, teachers shouldn't have to, but all the time they bring their own things in. So it's almost surprising for as cheap and inexpensive like thrift store books are that mm-hmm. there's just not more on the, on the shelf, but it's just random books that kids can borrow. Posters. And nice, uh, scholastic poster. It's just with all the purposeful choices and how much clutter and design is in all of the, bedrooms, the rooms, yeah. to have such a sparse classroom, it also seems like a purposeful choice. Well, I'm I'm wondering because Emerson is the one who like kind of later will be the one who realizes something bad is going on to school and looks up the paperwork and things. Maybe she's supposed to be new also, but this the movie doesn't tell us that. Like maybe she's just brand new at the school and just hasn't had a chance to decorate yet, like she started recently, but I don't know. Maybe. Or they just didn't know how to I mean they do bulletin boards and neat grids, so they don't know how to decorate schools. No, I don't believe that they didn't know how to decorate it. <laughs> Even if it was in neat grids. There's maybe way they're too not much allowed. way too much care and design into no, other. We don't see aspects. any other classrooms, right? We only see hers. We see the classroom with oh, the we SAT see the, the workshop. sign. Yeah. There's not much going on in there either. Maybe they aren't allowed. And I they, don't not allowed by who? It's a movie. Murdoch. Like Mo- no, like that—that's <laughs> the school. Is everything is super strict? Their bulletin board is in a neat grid, and if you stray from that, it, you lose your privileges. So just more of that. H-H- they can dance outside, but that's a privilege that can be taken away. That H H Nazism yes. kind of thing they have going and on in the classroom. You need approval before you put a poster up, or you want a bookshelf. You don't <laughs> want that many thoughts in these kids' heads. You don't want them reading. I don't care if this is a literature class. So she says she has some very upsetting news, and that's when she announces that Malcolm Kaiser has taken his own life. Yes. There's an odd audio thing here. Um, There's a gasp before she finishes the sentence. She says, one of our students, Malcolm Kaiser, and there's a gasp. Is that Mark? No. (laughs) Because he's the only one who would It's just a weird audio cue. I think they just put the sound effect too soon, because... Then there, when she finishes the sentence, you hear several students say "what," and Mark. That's when he let kind of lets the book kind of fall. He's holding a page open because he's reading, and then he yeah. lets go of it and sits back. Yeah, so he's clearly devastated. He's pained by this news. We see that in mm-hmm. how he like grabs his stomach, just the look on his face. It's like this is the first time that he's seeing the consequences of his radio show. Not that. Malcolm's death is his fault, but just seeing how there's connections between what 
he's talking with people about and mm, yeah. real life. Like, it's not just a show in his basement anymore. Right. There's there's actually a thing, it's in the musical, not the movie script, where they added a part where he is he actually asked Crestwood. Him and a couple other students are asking Crestwood who died and, like, what happened. And he said, did he use a gun? Like, he's confirming this is the person I talked to last night. Here he just kind of assumes it, I mean, rightly, but... Yeah, there's an awareness that he's talking to real people and... Well, and this on the same day that his tape was just playing outside. So he knows he's... There's an impact. More than just a few who sent him mail. And they already have a memorial service planned at Dempsey Hall on Friday. Uh, Emerson says, I know it hurts, it's painful to lose someone. And in the script, she gathers the class around her and says, I don't really feel like American literature today, so why don't we bag it? I'll give you the choice of going somewhere to write about your feelings or hanging out here with me and just talking. And so some kids stay, some leave, and that's when Mark gets out of the room. And it's also an interesting segue, like juxtaposition here, that we cut to the cheerleaders saying, we've got spirit, yes Yes. we do. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And along with that, I couldn't make out some of the words of it, the football coach telling the players what to do. So it's like these multiple layers of voices overlapping as Mark's walking outside. And wanted to talk briefly about how schools handle suicide. So suicide is currently the second leading cause of death among teenagers. 56, there has been a 56% increase over the past decade. And this statistic shocked me. I found it in a few different places to to verify that 17% of high school students have made a plan for how to actually carry out suicide. So 9% have made one or more attempts. So we're both teachers. That means if we are teaching a class of 30 students, and we just look at our group of 30 students, five of them have made actual plans yeah. to commit suicide, and three of our students have actually tried it. Yep. And I think that's, I don't know, I feel like as teachers, we should be more aware of and be more trained in that, and this would be more reason for empathy for our students who are going through things, because it's yeah. easy to get upset or frustrated, but um, schools also do little for prevention, and it's not really an issue that's discussed unless it comes up because people know that someone, a student in the school, has actually died by suicide or that there's been an attempt. Schools tend to overcompensate for research that shows that one can spark others, and Christian Slater's other film, Heathers, is is about, yes, is about that. But only 22 states have mandated suicide prevention. California is one of those states. Arizona is still not one of those states. (laughs) However, you might think this would just be a blue and red divide, but it's really interesting. There doesn't seem to be any political like Democrat versus Republican in terms of states or areas where they have them. It's just 22 do and most of them don't, but New York doesn't. So... It's it's different from sex ed, where you see like a more clear delineation between like conservative yeah. or red areas. Here you this you don't. Huh. Yeah, a lot of red states, a lot of southern states have better suicide prevention programs than say the state of New York. So even fewer states have clear suicide prevention intervention and postvention policies. And should also note, Mark is a kid. He should have never have been in that position where he has to talk somebody. It's easy 
to see Mark because like Christian Slater, he seems yeah. older, but Mark's 16. So he shouldn't have been in a position where another 16 year old kid is making plans to commit suicide or suicidal on the air. And now this is Mark's responsibility to deal with. Yeah. Very Gen X kind of thing, but like all the parents are not present or like doing anything. A very like, 80s thing too. You yeah. Know, that's when slasher films were rising and that's yeah. a big theme of those is authority figures and parents are not useful. Yeah. They're all failing them. You have to deal with everything yourself. Exactly. So they have to figure out suicide by them. They have to figure out everything that that's going on. But I've been critical of Mark's character a lot on the show, but I think this is the first time, like, I, not the first time I had empathy for him, but like a different kind of empathy. You're <laughs> just realizing that he should never, he shouldn't yep. have had to be in that position. Now, in the uh, musical here, they have a song called No Reason I Should Cry, which isn't very nice, just the title alone. I was like, yeah. what the hell? But, uh. Wait, No Reason I Should Cry was what? It took me a moment this to This is just- after Mo- everyone hears that Malcolm died. Okay. And Wait, was this in the musical? Yeah. The oh, musical. okay. <laughs> uh, this is a page. I never knew his name. Nora, we barely spoke at all. Stacy and Tracy, there's some characters from the musical. Mm-hmm. I think he sat behind me once in study hall. Maz, he never caused any trouble. Ricky, sort of weird and shy. All the students, a stranger says goodbye, no reason I should cry. That's the, how it starts. Now at the end of the song, Mark comes in. Says, I never knew his name. He barely said a word. Were the awful things I said the last thing he ever heard. And then the students come in and said, did a lonely stranger really have to die? And am I broken if I'm far too scared to cry? I suppose if a tear should fall, the reason just might be, had I been the one, would someone cry for me? So it's like, it's both like this horribly cynical song that's also really sad because it's suggesting all the students are feeling the same way at the same time. So I thought that was, I wish there were recordings of these songs. I did send a message uh, to the producer of the show because they are there are recordings of stuff. All right, well, let's see if they get back to us. <laughs> but only two of the songs are on YouTube because the musical never happened. It was supposed to happen in April in Pittsburgh, and the uh, lockdown kept that from happening. So we'll see. Do you think the musical will go if there's a long COVID period of not having shows? Because it could be 2022. I'm or guessing anything. no, because it was a college production. Uh, and like those students might have moved on. They're still taking well, yeah. classes, you know, they're doing other things. They did write it. So maybe a new group of students will produce it once they have a chance. Yeah. Well, I hope we're able to. Two of the songs are on YouTube, but they're from later in the show. So yes, we have Mark here devastated leaving school and Nora's watching him leave. Yes. Specifically in the script, this is ex- her exiting the art supply room. So this is fourth period. She's just been smoking. Ah. Uh. And then she sees him and watches them go. So then does she not know the news of what happened? I would guess no. Because if she doesn't know what's happening, she probably finds it very odd that he refused to cut... She just sees him walking away in the middle of the day. He refused to cut school with her, and now he's leaving school by himself. Which which is why she follows him. (laughs) We'll see next segment. He Where he goes next, she goes too. So yeah, (laughs) I guess that happens in the middle of the day. And we get that great shot of the... Hubert Humphrey HH school sign with the be a winner. Mm-hmm. Yes, be a winner. That's what you want to see when you're walking out after you just realize someone killed themselves. <sighs> High schools are known for those trite, cliched, yeah. Well, that's, that's what <laughs> I attempted feel good um, kind of. I haven't mentioned this on this show, but Groundhog Day Project, uh, day seven fifty one, twenty second August twenty fifteen. I wrote about this movie, and I said, uh, check the sign outside Hubert H Humphrey High School. Be a winner. 
As if the students will see that and think, never mind all the bullshit in my day, I'm going to be a winner now. <laughs> like it's a novel idea that comes from reading it on a sign. And Mark is walking toward that, and it's placed deliberate, so deliberate. Oh, for sure, in yeah. Frame, yeah. As he's walking away from the school, upset. And we get the confirmation that their mascot is the Centurion. Yeah, it's well. the Centurion's at the bottom. Yep. Which is the actual Saugus High School mascot. Oh. So they didn't cool. even change that. Yeah. The colors are the same. You should go listen to... The most obscure movies. <laughs> yeah. You Dave, just got that title today, so. <laughs> yeah, I pick obscure movies apparently. Go listen to Dave Made a Minute. I think I've already mentioned that on this show, but still, it's good. Go do it. A bunch of podcasters trying to figure out what a movie is when all they can see is, most of them, three random minutes of the film. Out of order. You can find that under Dave Made a Minute online. And you can listen to Life as a Playlist, which is my show that is increasingly becoming less about the music and more about the social commentary. <laughs> but we'll see uh, if things could ch- <laughs> could change. But you can also follow my Life as a Playlist accounts on social media. Put out new episodes every Sunday night and... Speak out! They can't stop you! Find your voice and use it! Keep this thing going! Pick a name! Go on the air! Your life! Take charge of it! Do it! Try it! Try anything! Fill your guts up! Say shit and fuck a million times if you want to! But you decide! Fill the air! Steal it! Keep the air alive! And follow this show at Pump Up The Minute on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check LemmingDrops.com for links to that show and more. Talk hard! Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes